Um, so let's uh, open the scriptures again, shall we? Um, to the second letter of Peter. So Second Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Yeah, give us a nod if you're there. Yep, yep, yep. All right, about 77% is there, so yep, let's do it. All right, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, And the heavenly bodies will be burned up, dissolved, and the earth and the works that are on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the word of God. There's a graveyard shift if you're a uh, public speaker. If you fall asleep, that's okay. It's my fault. All right, so settle down, get comfortable. That's fine. Uh, But we have got some important things to think about. Here we go. Do you remember in 2018, uh, the Global Atheist Convention 
uh, was held in Melbourne with Salman Rushdie as the main speaker. And it was gloriously titled, Reason to Hope. Do you remember reading all about it and what Salman Rushdie said in the papers and, uh, you know, or on the internet and all the publicity about it, all that kind of thing, what a success it was? Anyone remember? No, you don't. I'll tell you why. It didn't happen. And why did it not happen? Uh, if you went to the website, they'd say it was cancelled because ticket sales were substantially below expectations. And I figure it was probably cancelled because, well, even in Melbourne, people could work out that the global atheist, there's not a lot of hope there. The new atheists, for all their hoopla and carry on, the atheist worldview, if you drill down, actually offers no hope. During the uh, lockdown last year, I'm not sure why I did, but I read Neil Ferguson's book, Doom. Here we go. Um, uh, okay, next one. That's it. Um, <clears throat> it's a great thing to read during a pandemic. Uh, the book is actually about uh, pandemics, natural disasters, huge accidents, all those kind of things. Right. Neil Ferguson uh, says he's an atheist as well, and so he says in the book, each year around, uh, sorry, each year around the world, around 59 million people expire, roughly the entire population of the world at the time of King, at the time King David ruled over the Israelites. So, 59 million people, about a thousand BC. That many people die every year now. He says we are all doomed. Even if medical scientists are able to extend life expectancy still further, as some project beyond a century, life is a terminal condition. And in a particularly dark chapter, uh, he gives the example of this painting uh, by Salvador Rosa, painted in 1665. Salvador Rosa painted it um, just after his son, sadly, had died in bubonic plague. Um, and you see the little boy here is, is writing on a page. We've got a close-up now. And what is it that the little boy, as the angel of death there, writes? He writes on the page in Italian, Conception is sin, birth is pain, life is toil, death is inevitable. Aren't you glad you stayed for this last session? <laughs> but without God, that is... Truly the way life is, isn't it? It is very hard to live without hope. Very hard to live without hope. And the New Testament writers understand that. And when you search and look through, and I have, the New Testament talks about hope in the future 55 times. And that hope is grounded, if you like, it looks to the past and it looks to the future. The hope is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus in the past and the hope is grounded in the return of Jesus in the future. And what we saw this morning is that Jesus taught the kingdom of God will begin small like a mustard seed and yet will grow to fill the earth and eventually to see the new creation. And that people would come to know Jesus as their king. Now, Jesus looked forward, though, to what you might call the consummation of the kingdom of God. The consummation, what's it mean? the point at which something is complete or finalised. Let me show you um, one of my absolute favourite words in, uh, in New Testament Greek. I'm no expert on Greek. Um, uh, I've got a computer. My computer and I now do um, New Testament Greek. 
Um, actually, every time I open it, I think, oh, where were you, baby, when I was at Bible college? But anyway, um, here we go. This is the coolest word ever. Um, it's in the, in the context, you may have read the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, essentially, give up being greedy and come and follow me. And he walks away because he can't do that. And then Peter, who's kind of the leader of the, his Jesus' disciples, says to him this. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? So he said, well, he gave up nothing. We've given up everything. What about us? And Jesus' answer says this, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, in other words, Jesus is shown to be king. See this word here, the renewal of all things. Um, have any of you got a, what's the ESV translate? Can anyone see that, Matthew nineteen twenty-seven? Yeah, come on, can you do it? Yep. Yeah, the word innovate. Oh, well, oh, it's all right. The renewal of all things. There's different ways of translating it. What it is in the, in the original, it's the word palingenesia. Now, palin means again, and genesia is genesis. And so, what Jesus is saying, when will you. Yep. Oh, in the new world. In the new world. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good grip on it. The renewal of all things are in the new world. Palingenesia, the again genesis. The renewal of all things. Jesus is saying you won't miss out. In the new creation, what will happen? Um, that's what to look forward to when Jesus is revealed as king. Now, I reckon Peter heard that when Jesus said, it's all right, you know, you've given up everything now, but you won't be looking for a refund when we get to the consummation of the kingdom. And I think Peter remembered that. And so if you go to 2 Peter... Um, written at the end of Peter's life when Peter says he knows that he'll die soon, maybe 30, 35 years later, what does he say? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. So God's called you, keep going, keep going. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into what? the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There's a kingdom again. Peter's saying, hang on, keep going. Welcome into the eternal... Now, in that letter, Peter talks, okay, well, it's, the consummation happens when Jesus returns, but in chapter 3, the, the, the one that Daniel just read for us, he asks or answers three pretty obvious questions about the return of Jesus. Here we go. What is the chapter... Where, why, and what? Where is this coming? Why the delay, being like 2,000 years, what will happen when Jesus returns? So let's have a look at that, chapter 3. Here's a question for you. What happened, I know for some of you guys will see ancient history, but what happened on the 28th, 29th of October, 1992? 28, 29 October, 1992, and the answer is nothing. Right. which was a bit of a disappointment for some people. There was a, um, actually it was a Korean group uh, called the Mission to the Coming Days. Any of you guys hear those? No, it kind of um, ran out of steam after this particular date, uh, especially when the pastor was found to have invested in um, financial bonds, etc., that matured after this date. Um, 
but they were saying that Jesus was going to return October 28, 1992. Now, that was about three years after I finished Bible college. But seriously, in Sydney, it was a big deal at the time. They put posters up and they made all sorts of noise and um, it was, you know, hit the media, etc. and people were counting down the days. Uh, <laughs> their office was in uh, Gladesville and the media was there on this particular night. Now, because of the dateline or whatever, it was going to happen 1am uh, in the morning and... Uh, it didn't happen. Um, anyway, there was a, the next day, there was a, uh, they showed on the people, go, the, the group, this mission of the coming days, they went up into their office and, um, and waited for Jesus to return after they said when it would be. And there was a comedian on, stay, on, uh, on the TV the next day accounting, re- recounting what happened. He said, well, we saw them go in and then, like, much later, after one o'clock, like three, four in the morning, they, they began to kind of come out slowly. And there was, there was one young guy I was watching, and he came out and he was weeping. He was so sad. And I really felt for him. So I walked up beside him, I put my arm around him, and I said, mate, cheer up, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> now, what does that show? It shows I like telling that story again and again. Um, if you believe in the return of Jesus, you can feel like a slow-moving target. You can feel like a fool. For a bit. Why? Because, well, people will mock, mock the idea. It's exactly what Peter says. See in um, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. We've got that on the, on the screen. Peter says this. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now, the way that I would answer that is to say, well, let's have a think. Jesus made a number of predictions. Jesus predicted that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven would begin like a mustard seed and grow huge. It happened. Jesus predicted that he would be crucified, which he was. Jesus predicted that he would rise from the dead. And the evidence for that if you look at the, the transformation of the disciples, the evidence for that is very strong. If anyone will look, it happened. And Jesus predicted that he would return and bring the kingdom to consummation. And so I believe him. But that's not how Peter answers it. So have a look at I don't have these, um, these next couple of verses on the screen. He says this. He talks about the word of God and, and the past. So see, chapter 3, verse 5, Peter says... But they, the scoffers, deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So the idea of you know, God divides the waters, brings the dry land, etc., separates earth and sky and, and oceans and sky. He says, by these waters also the, wor- the world of that time was del- uh, deluged and destroyed. So in the word of God, creation and then the great flood, both because of the word... God's done that in the past. He says, well, the word of God is waiting for the same thing now. Verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So he says exactly what God has promised. God keeps his promises. Creation, flood, and the return of Jesus, all relying on the word of God. Okay, that's one. Where is his coming? The next one then, why the delay 
in verses 8 and 9, he says in verse 8, uh, and we have, yep, that's it. Uh, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. Uh, that's an allusion to Psalm 90, where he says, for God, uh, a thousand years like a day. Really what he means is, what, since Jesus was here, it's only like a weekend for God. It's not, not that long at all in God's timing. And why does God wait? Well, it's not laziness or disorganisation. It's compassion. Why does he wait? See verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is it that God waits? God waits to give people time uh, to come to know Jesus to find forgiveness. God waits to call more and more people. And so in the last few years, there have been millions of people come to know him. Even in Australia, thousands probably who've come to know the Lord Jesus. So he waits to give people time to be ready. And then the third one, what will happen? Well, it's a terrible picture in a way, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, meaning really unexpected. In fact, as soon as someone tells you the exact date was going to happen, you can pretty much cross that one off the calendar. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And have a look, you look, I haven't got it on the screen, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Um, uh, that, uh, if you like, a, that's a word picture of the judgment day that's coming. And then verse 13, for those who are genuine believers in the Lord Jesus, he says, but in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, a new creation. So where is the coming? It's coming. Why the delay? God waits to give people time to be ready, to be forgiven. What will happen? The judgment day, a new creation. And then lastly, how to be ready, verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. It's as you wait for the return of the Lord Jesus, to actually to trust him and to live his way and to be ready. There you go. Um, let me finish. I'd like to actually read to you two beautiful quotes about the return of Jesus. Uh, the first one by Charles Spurgeon, uh, the Prince of Preachers, as they called him. Spurgeon, a uh, Baptist preacher uh, in London, 100 or so years ago. Um, let me read to you what he says. Uh, this is from a sermon given in 1893. <clears throat> he says of Jesus, He came once to wear the crown of thorns. He will come again to wear the diadem of universal dominion. Understand this, that the whole drama of redemption cannot be perfected without this last act of the coming of the king. The man of Nazareth will come again, and none shall spit in his face then, but every knee shall bow before him. 
The crucified shall come again, though the nail prints will be visible. No nail shall then fasten his dear hands to the tree. But instead thereof he shall grasp the scepter of universal sovereignty, and he shall reign for ever and ever. And the other quote uh, from a man I, I deeply respect and had the privilege of working for for some time, Peter Jensen, uh, who was, until a few years ago, the Archbishop of Sydney. Uh, in 2005, he gave the Boyer Lectures for the ABC about the future of Jesus. Here's what he says about looking forward to the kingdom. Peter says this, And what did he, Jesus, say of that coming kingdom? The picture that Jesus painted at the end... Uh, involved the great things we would all probably long for, the defeat of evil and the triumph of good, the death of death, a future of justice and yet forgiveness, intense overflowing human happiness and joy. He called the coming kingdom a banquet, a wedding, a feast, a resurrection, a robust and loving community in which every tear would be wiped away and we would live joyously as we were meant to, under the rule of the Father God. It is very hard to live without hope. And yet you understand this hope for the future, it reaches back to now and makes all the difference. You pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the promise of the return of our Lord Jesus. We ask, please, that we might see life very clearly, see the hope that you promise and how that hope reaches back to affect so much of life now. Please help us to seek first your kingdom, the rule of our Lord Jesus in the lives of men and women. Uh, please help us uh, to understand how we can be a part of that. And we ask, please, that understanding that would help us to live lives of confidence and joy and lives that point to him. And we ask this in his name. Amen.